Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome to Faith. So good to have you guys here this morning. Kind of makes you hungry, doesn't it? Hang on, guys. Hang on. I want to feed you the word this morning, then we'll move out later and get something to eat for lunch, I am sure. Hey, good to be back home. We had a a great missions trip with us last week. Saw almost 700 patients, and uh, about 200 of those gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That That is incredible. Uh, the building crew got a lot done. We finished the classroom we came to do. We poured a floor and put the roof on and, and laid a lot of block and had an awesome time. So great time. Thank you for praying with us while we were gone. And, uh, but it's good to be back home. Heard Aaron did an awesome job here bringing the word last week. And, uh, just a whole host of people being baptized in water. Isn't that what church is all about? Seeing people saved and lives changed and transformed and what God is doing is just phenomenal. Now we're in the series, you see messy church. And of course they took you to a kitchen, a messy kitchen. They showed you how all the ingredients get put together and in the end something really good comes out. And the whole idea is we went to the book of Acts and we looked at Acts. And first of all, let me explain something to you. How many know that, that churches are filled with imperfect people? And we make a lot of messes and we mess things up and we blow it all the time and we are just messy people by nature. There's this old sin nature and even though we're saved and we have a new nature in Christ Jesus, we still make messes. He, he says in Proverbs, he said, well, if there's no oxen in the stall, there'll be no mess, but there's no work that gets done either. And so in a church, it's kind of like that. We need each other and we can get a little bit messy. And so we're looking at this early church, this very first church, and then the Holy Spirit comes down in Acts chapter two and totally messes the whole thing up. He just blows it all up. And, and when the Holy Spirit comes in, when Christ comes into your life, he, he, he just changes everything radically. And he sets the early church on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you see this early church struggling to make it to survive, and yet the God's power comes down. They begin to evangelize Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It spreads around the world, and, and, and to see the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit will take you out of your comfort zone. We get in areas we like to stay that we're very comfortable in and we're very secure in. And then Jesus Christ comes in. He reorganizes all of our priorities, changes everything in our life. He just kind of messes us up. And yet it's in a good way. And, and we saw last week how that the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is, is a messed up man. And he's killing Christians. He's killing believers. He's persecuting the church. But, but on this road to Damascus, the, a flash of God's glory comes down and he's blinded. How many know it's messy to be blind? And he's blinded by the Spirit of God. And for the next three days, he's blinded. And they lead him into uh, Damascus where he meets Ananias. And he is filled with the Holy Spirit. His eyes are opened up. And Saul of Tarsus, who had gone from killing Christians, now becomes the leading proponent of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would be the instrument of God to take the gospel all around the Roman Empire, greatly, greatly, mightily used by God, all because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want us to look at another story today. Take your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 10. 
you're going to see how that the Holy Spirit begins to mess with our paradigms. How that before we're very safe and secure in our own comfort zone, around our own friends, around people that have the same color skin we have and look the same we do and make the same amount of money we do and we're very comfortable there. But God comes and he saves us and he changes us and he says, okay, love everybody. Can't pick and choose anymore. Can't have prejudice anymore. It's all about loving one another in the body of Christ and he messes up with your cultural background that you've had all your life. And now he says, no, that's not the way it's gonna be. And he's gonna have to work on somebody by the name of Peter and another man by the name of Cornelius and it's a very interesting story right here that we'll read and and see that the Jews had had in their mind this wall of separation. They thought they were God's chosen people. They thought they were the elite of the Lord and really the good news was only for them. And so they're in Jerusalem and the church is growing, but mostly Jewish believers are coming to know Christ. And, and so it's growing and spreading. And now, now the Holy Spirit's going to come down and totally mess up and change Peter's paradigm. And we're going to read about that today. And let me give you a little background first. There's a man by the name of Cornelius. He is a Gentile pagan Roman soldier. He's a very high-ranking soldier. He is a centurion. He has a regiment that is underneath him of over 100 men. They, he was, it said he was of the Italian cohort, which this is kind of like the secret service. This is the, the cream of the crop. This is the very top soldiers, those who have been distinguished for valor. They're a part of this Italian cohort. He's also, though, even though he's a, uh, a Roman soldier, He's also a God-fearer. And somewhere along the line, he figured out, you know what, all the mythology of Rome and all the idols that are around and all the temples and all the immorality that went along with Roman pagan idol worship, he said, you know what, that's not real. There's gotta be something more than that. There's gotta be, it's not about idols of stone and wood. There's gotta be a real God who made everything and created everything and he is drawn by the Jewish faith to become a God-fearer. He wants to know the, the one true God of Israel. But there can be no salvation apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter how good a man he might have been, how philanthropic he might have been, how much piety he had, how much morality he had, how much respectability he had, without Jesus Christ there was still no salvation and still no hope. And yet he's searching, he's hungry, he's looking. And so God gives him a vision, and he has a very graphic and distinct vision, and it says, go to Joppa, you're going to go to the house of Simon the Tanner, and there you'll find a man, Simon Peter, I want you to find him and bring him back to Caesarea. And so he says, okay, that's a a pretty direct vision, right? Very, very specific that God grants this Roman Gentile soldier, Go go to Simon the Tanner's house. Now, while he's doing this, Peter's up on the rooftop. He's taking it easy. It's about lunchtime. He's getting hungry. He has his own vision that God gives him because God is going to set Peter up just like he set up Cornelius, and he's going to bring these two very estranged backgrounds together in a very unique way. So let's stand together, look at Acts chapter 10, and we're going to look at Peter's vision that he had. This is the background. Okay, verse number 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went on the roof to pray. He became hungry. 
and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything unpure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. Father, today we are so thankful to come together and be able to worship and praise you. We are so grateful for your holy presence here today. Sweet spirit, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. Lord, I need your help today to minister again your word this morning. Without you, we can do nothing. So I pray the Holy Spirit will will drive the words of Scripture deep into our heart and our spirit. I pray you'll do your cleansing work, your work of repentance, your work in our church, and we'll give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look awesome today, and then you may be seated. Peter's vision was a, a... more than about diets. Now, when you look at it at the surface, it's about food and what you're going to eat and what you're not going to eat, but it's much more than food you're going to eat. Years of culture and conditioning had trained Peter to say, not so, Lord, I can't eat that stuff. It's unclean. Peter's an Orthodox Jew, and all of his life, he had followed all the laws of Moses. And he has a mindset of the elite, that he is a part of God's chosen people, and he believes there's always been this middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. And he's on the Jewish side. He is a God-fearer, and that wall of separation is right there. And, And there's all these laws that went along with being a Jew. Circumcision was a huge one. And 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 then all the foods you ate. They had all these kosher laws about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And in the mindset of the Jew, Gentiles themselves were considered unclean. So when when God shows him this vision of letting the sheep down and unclean animals, it was more about his diet. It was more about the acceptance of the Gentiles and their uncleanness. Now the reality is simply this. When he says, not so, Lord, I can never eat that. I can never partake in that. What, what he is, God is really saying is, without Jesus' grace, both Jew and Gentile alike are unclean. I want to tell you, until you find the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are unclean. I am unclean. We all need a Savior. We all need God. Every one of us are unclean. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But something happened when Christ died on the cross. The Bible says that the middle wall of partition has come down. And he says there's now no more Jew or Gentile in the mind of Christ. I I want you to turn to Ephesians 2. It's so clear there. Ephesians 2. Look, if you would, at verse number 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, which was like like a dirty slang term, uncircumcised, unclean, by those who call themselves the circumcision, the in crowd, 
that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Something happened when Jesus Christ hung on the cross. That veil in the temple was ripped in two, uh, and now there's no difference between Jew or Gentile, and all alike can come into the presence of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You who were once foreigners and strangers and separated from the covenants of God, now you have been brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he emphatically says that in the cross there's no Jew or Gentile. The blood of Christ makes all the difference. It's a game changer. It changes everything. There's also no difference in salvation. Jesus Christ can save anybody. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Let me give you one more scripture that's very, very clear. Romans 10, verses 12 and 13. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. Calvary changes everything. And so he says in verse 15, the book of Acts chapter 10, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. If you open up your heart to the grace of God, the impurity, the uncleanness is taken away, you are now covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and you stand holy and righteous in his sight and so who are you to call anything impure that Christ has cleansed by his blood? It's more than just food here. It's about mindsets and generations and prejudice that have been passed down from generation to generation. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. In other words, God can cleanse anybody. And if he wants to cleanse a Roman soldier by the name of Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who is uncircumcised, he can come in and clean him and save him. The Lord was working on Peter. And he's using this vision this, that he has to soften his heart and begin to break down these walls of prejudice that he had carried in his life from generation to generation. Now my prayer for you is this morning that the Holy Spirit will soften your hearts and mess you up. Mess you up. You may have come from generations and families that have been ensnared by racism, by prejudice, by hatred. But that needs to be broken today by God's grace. I've been praying about this service. I believe God's going to do amazing work in your hearts, minds, and lives today. It's not for us to call anyone impure that God has made clean. Peter's prejudice was so strong that, that Jesus has to give him the vision three times. Not just once. Once wouldn't do it. Three different times the Bible says he sees this vision of this sheet being let down with all kinds of unclean animals on that blanket, on that sheet. He saw pigs in the blanket. Pigs in a blanket, you've seen that? 
I just thought of that. Uh, boy, I'm quick. Pigs in a blanket right there. He saw little lobsters and shrimp crawling around on that blanket. Bacon, barbecue, southern barbecue. Oh, my. And he's hungry. The Bible says he's hungry. And he has this vision of all this potential food coming down out of heaven. And what does he say? Surely not so, Lord. Now, I, I found a quotation. I want you to listen to this quote. This is so good. It's by Dr. William Graham Scroggy, and he says this, you can say no, and you can say Lord, but you cannot say no, Lord. If he is truly our Lord, then we can only say yes to him. Wow. You can say no, you can say Lord, but you can never say no, Lord. If he's truly Lord, you can only say yes. Listen, when God tells us something in his word, we don't have a choice. If we make him Lord of our life, it's always got to be yes, Lord. And he's very clear about prejudice in the word of God. He's very clear that the walls have come down. That it doesn't matter what your mommy or pappy might have said or taught you or your grandpappy or great-grandpappy or what's been handed down from generation to generation. It's not about what they taught you or culture teaches you. It's about what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says, don't call, don't call anything impure that God has cleansed. Peter finally gets it. He goes to Cornelius' house. And jump down in the text to verse 34, and keep your Bibles open there to Acts chapter 10. Jump down to verse 34, it says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Everybody say the word favoritism. Favoritism. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So I'm going to give you three quick lessons. Jot these down this morning, then we're going to pray some. Uh, the first lesson is simply this. God loves all people. Say that with me. God loves all people. Isn't that a great statement? Now, we, we know that intellectually. We believe that. We know that God is love, and so we assume that God loves all people. God loves you. God loves me. But also, it means that God is colorblind. Red and yellow, black and white, they are in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And if they've been accepted by God, who are we to reject or despise anyone different from us? Come on, that's good. Peter begins to preach this powerful message. He goes to Cornelius' house. He starts preaching about Jesus. He says that he anointed Jesus Christ when he was on the earth. He anointed his life. There were many signs and wonders and miracles that followed the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then he says he was accused uh, uh, the Jew, by the Jews, uh, and they killed Jesus Christ. And then he says, but you know what? What the Jews did, God undid, and God raised him up from the dead. How many know that whatever man does, God's able to undo it and do an even greater miracle. And then he says, now it was his mission, or God had given everyone the mission to preach that gospel of good news. And something happens, he's preaching the word of God, and I want you to jump to verse 44. As he's preaching, heaven opens up. And look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. 
the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Wow. Now let me just make one quick statement. When the walls come down, heaven opens up. When the walls come down, heaven opens up. If we are in a church that is filled with prejudice, hatred, bitterness, strife, and division, heaven won't open up. We're in trouble. But as soon as God begins to break down those barriers, what happens? Heaven opens up and the Holy Spirit comes down in power and in might. More powerful than a, than a vision of sheets coming down from heaven uh, is a vision of the Holy Spirit and God coming down in that baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse number 47, let me read it to you. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. God is no respecter of person. God loves everybody. Now follow the logic here. And point number two is simply this. If God loves everybody, then we should love all people. Right? If we're, if we're Christ followers, if you call yourself a Christian, you cannot pick and choose who you're going to love. The word of God, Peter said, not so, Lord. You can't put those words together. And when you're a child of God, you've got to love all people. We don't have a choice about that. Regardless of background, regardless of culture, regardless of race, we are to love all people. And we're also responsible as Christ followers to spread that message and tell others to love one another. Now, here's what happens. You, you would be amazed, but in Acts chapter 11, and this is why it's so messy, because the Holy Spirit's breaking in, and the church is seeing stuff they've never seen before, and they're scratching their heads, and they're saying, what did Peter do? He went into the house of a Gentile. He stayed with those guys. He ministered to those guys. What, what's Peter thinking here, this was supposed to be our own little special club, and he's harshly criticized. So he goes to Jerusalem, and there he's called on the carpet, and he's asked to explain his actions. And they say, Peter, what got into you? What are you doing going to their house? Don't you know that their house is unclean? And now you're defiled, and now you're unclean by association. And then so Peter begins to recount the story. And in chapter 11, he tells them about the vision he had. And then he tells them about the Holy Spirit falling upon the Gentiles. Now pick it up with chapter 11, verses 17 and 18. So if God gave the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Now listen, when you don't obey God's word, when you say, no, Lord, you're opposing God. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Now this is a major colossal breakthrough in the early church. It would pave the way for the Apostle Paul and the gospel to go to the, all the Gentile nations around the world. 
Even the Jewish Christians could not argue with God's Holy Spirit in his selection process. You see, he says, they're chosen by God. They weren't chosen by me. I didn't pick these guys. This is the Holy Spirit's selection process. He chose them. He poured his spirit on them. Listen to me, church. There is never any justification for racism and prejudice. Doesn't matter what your father or mother may have said, your heavenly father's word is above all. You have a new father, he is your heavenly father, and that's the word of God that we obey. And God loves all people, and so it stands to reason, so should I. When racist talk begins to fly, we have a responsibility to speak up. Don't listen to it, don't laugh at the, at the racial jokes, the innuendos, the slurs, we don't listen to that, we don't participate in that, we take a stand and we speak up. We say, I don't want to hear that nonsense. Peter stepped up. He said, wait a minute, time out, guys. This is what God did. This is God's solution. This is God's selection. He says, God is no respecter of persons. He came to seek and save those who are lost. I, uh, there's some good Christian movies that have been coming out in the recent years. One of them I saw was Woodlawn. If you like football, you're going to love this movie. It's a great Christian movie with a great story. And it goes back to uh, Alabama and uh, talks about Woodlawn, Alabama, and the first African-American football player to play on a high school football team that was totally segregated. And all the segregation laws were in place. It was a true story from the early 70s. Racial tension was very, very high. There was so much violence that the FBI wanted to close down Woodlawn High School. The FCA, which stands for Fellowship of Christian Athletes Chaplain, almost led the entire football team to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a phenomenal story of redemption, salvation, and there's action in it, and they're playing football, and, uh, and yet you see all the prejudice that, that was in Birmingham, Alabama at this time when all this is taking place. And then he begins to talk, he says, now that you have given your life to the Lord, you got to take it a step further. And we can't have any more division, black or white. And he gives him this speech. Take a look at the clip right now. Christianity and football both require sacrifice. And there's just some things you have to give up and leave behind. Anything that takes you away from total commitment. I found this behind the gym. Jesus and what's written on this paper cannot coexist. Birmingham has seen nothing but hate for so long it has lost its ability to believe. It's lost hope what we need right now is for someone to come along and show us what it's like to live without this. You remember what I said to you the first time I talked to you in the gym? You told us you loved us. That's right. Now it's time for you to love each other. They shall know we are Christians by our love. You made a commitment. I see you all standing here. 
Is it real? It's real to me. Me too. There's something we need to do. That's right. There's something that we need to do. That's right. One load on three. One, two, three. One load. All right. Make you kind of want you to go see the movie, doesn't it? It's pretty cool. This, uh, this true story, this chaplain, starting with a football team, what happened here with the football team and beginning to allow the African-Americans to play with the whites and get the same kind of respect and honor on the football field and breaking down the barriers in the high school led to a revival that occurred in Birmingham for the next 10 years. It was amazing what God began to do because one person had the courage to speak up and talk about it. And, uh, and he was a white chaplain talking to African-Americans and his white people as well. Now, it works on the other side as well. African-Americans need to speak out as well against racial prejudice. It happens both ways. I want you to hear Dr. Martin Luther King talking to an African-American, predominantly African-American congregation. Look at what he had to say at the March on Washington. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. We need to speak up. We need to speak of life and love and not hatred and violence and anger and bitterness. Now, here's the deal. Only the love of Jesus Christ can come in. 
and begin to melt the heart and break down those walls and heal the racial divide that's in our nation. Now, we've come a long ways since Dr. Martin Luther King, and yet there's still, we may have gotten rid of a lot of the segregation laws, but there are still people that are segregationists deep in their heart. I would say to you, if any one of those clips offended you in any way, you need to look at your own life and your own heart and spirit and see, do I have some root of it still left deep down inside? Is there something that made me, something that made me cringe or hold back or say, I don't really like this or we shouldn't talk about this in church or this is not me or you're walking on. Listen, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you and dealing with you and it's time to let it go. You have a choice to make, church, and people listen to me. Now that I'm a follower of Christ, am I going to do what God tells me to do and say, I believe that there is no respecter of persons with God, therefore there shall be no respecter of persons with me. You have a choice to make. Now listen to me. For all the progress that we've made over the years, and we have come a long ways, it was less than one year ago, on June 17, 2015, A young white man by the name of Dylan Roof walks into a Bible study at Emmanuel AME Church right here in Charleston. He sits through the Bible study, and to me this is just mind-boggling. How do you sit through a Bible study of God's Word, and yet the Bible talks about our hearts can become so hard that we cannot respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? He warns us over and over again, beware lest you harden your hearts in unbelief. And it's hard to become so hard, and at the end of that study, he pulls out a gun and kills nine men and women in that Bible study on that day. And then he flees, and they catch him in North Carolina, and today he is standing trial. you got a choice to make. Are we going to do what God tells us to do? Are we going to do what God tells us to do? Are we going to say, no, Lord, not so, Lord, or are we going to say, yes? Yes, Lord, I believe. And the third point is simply this. The Holy Spirit's the one who gives us the power to walk out Christ's love. You see, in, in the natural, sometimes it's hard to do, and we can't do that. And there's some people who really rub us the wrong way and drive us nuts, and it's difficult and challenging. Uh, and yet while Peter is preaching right there in Cornelius' house, and he's given this powerful message, uh, and all the Gentile guests are gathered together in the room, there is an unexpected interruption from heaven itself. Uh, and the Holy Spirit now is being poured out on the Gentiles, just like it was on the day of Pentecost, confirmation that they were accepted by God and made a part of his church. The Holy Spirit comes in and he seals the deal. He just, he just wraps it all up. Peter would, have, Peter would have never, ever again second-guessed God's love and has reached for all people after this incident in Acts chapter 10. They have been joined together by the same Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in and makes us one. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in and changes everything radically. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in and messes up all our cultural past and says, okay, walls come down, start loving each other. 
We are Christians, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, he can break every stronghold. He can come in and renew our minds uh, and he will take us from a world mindset of hatred and prejudice and bitterness and anger and division and he can place within us the Bible, what the Bible calls the mind of Christ. And Christ was not a respecter of persons. Only the Holy Spirit can do that and give us a love for all. Listen, the segregation laws may have been removed but in our, far from our country, but they still are in the hearts of many, many thousands upon thousands of Americans today. The segregation laws have been embedded deep within their heart. But when the Holy Spirit comes down, the walls that divide then will also begin to come down. Hallelujah. Yesterday, was the 110th year anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival. It was a Pentecostal outpouring that occurred at the beginning of the 20th century. It's a, it was a powerful move of God that took place in the early 1900s. It, it, this revival was so strong, it, it gave birth to the Pentecostal denominations we have today, of which we are a part, the Assemblies of God. We, we trace our roots back to this early Pentecost revival in the early 20th century. In 1906, long before the civil rights movement, racial tensions and segregation laws were prevalent. There was no, Dr. this was in the 60s with a video clip you saw. There was none of that. This is 60 years prior to that. There was so much hatred and violence and anger and suppression of minorities and segregation laws and separation laws existed all across our land. William Seymour was an African-American and uh, he was hungry for more of God and hungry for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. He travels to Houston, Texas to attend Charles Parham's Bible College in Houston, Texas. He wanted to hear his teachings on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then in a few pockets that have been occurring in different parts of the country, Charles Parham begins to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And William Seymour, this African-American, wants to head down there and learn more about it. The problem is the segregation laws forbid him from going into the classrooms with other white students. Now, rather than getting angry or bitter, he sat outside the door and listened to the teachings. And, and he takes it all in and drinks it all in. Seymour sets it, set, uh, uh, and he listens. He was more concerned about seeking God than pleasing man. Upon hearing the teachings on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and realizing that everything he was hearing was lining up with the word of God and the book of Acts and all that was then there about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he began to teach it wherever he could. In February of 1906, Seymour moved to Los Angeles, California. He began conducting a small prayer meeting in the home of Richard and Ruth Asbury at 214 North Bonnie Bray Street. At first, the meetings consisted of just a few African Americans who were coming together to hear those teachings on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But soon, whites from the area began to join into those teachings. Seymour calls a 10-day fast, and so that group of believers begin to fast, and they begin to pray, and they begin to seek God, and they're meeting at this house. And 24 hours a day, they are coming and going out of this house, much like happened on the day of Pentecost. After three days, people were reported falling out outside the house and all around the house under the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance. 
Groups from every culture and every race begin to find their way to that house to seek out and find out more about God. The meetings grew, and finally they had to move the meetings to 312 Azusa Street. Their services there went for a couple of years from 10 o'clock in the morning till midnight. There were three altar calls that were given each and every single day. Signs and wonders were taking place. Miracles were happening. Deaf ears were being opened up. The blind were seen again. The lame were walking. The Holy Spirit was being poured out. Men and women were saved, falling under the power of Almighty God. No one in those meetings cared about the segregation laws. It was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God and blacks and whites and all colors were worshiping God together. In the midst of racial tension, it was an African-American, William Seymour, who kept his eyes on God. And because of his hunger for God, God would use him as a conduit to see that the Holy Spirit was poured out. It would start a revival that would begin at Azusa Street. It would spread through the United States. It would make its way to Brazil and Argentina and Latin America. It would make its way to South Korea. It would make its way to Africa. It is sweeping through Europe and Asia today. There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is taking place because he said something in his words in the last days. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh, every tribe, every language, every nation on all flesh. Like the day of Pentecost, when they gathered in Jerusalem, and it spread in Acts to Samaria, and then in Acts 10 to Cornelius' house, and then in Acts 19 to Ephesus, and then finally to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit did it at Pentecost. And at Cornelius' house, and at Azusa Street, he can still move on your hearts today. He can still break down barriers today. He can still take away the prejudice today. He can still break up any racial tension and prejudice between us and cause us to love one another as Christ loves all of us. Listen to me, church, this morning. When the Holy Spirit comes down, so will the walls. And when the walls come down, heaven will open up. Hallelujah. Now listen to me. I just want to talk to you just a moment and we're going to pray. I, I, first of all, I want to say how much I praise God for the diversity in faith assembly of God. I, I, I believe... Many people have asked me, many pastor friends have asked me, Pastor, your, your church has grown. God's blessed you. What do you attribute that to? I say just a few things. One I say is I think because we reach out around the world in missions, and I think when a church reaches out around the world in missions, God will bless that church. But I said another thing that's happened at Faith Assembly of God is we have opened up our doors right in the heart of the low country to every race, every color, every background, and God has brought in remarkable, remarkable people of Latinos, African-Americans, whites, uh, just, it just uh, Brazilians. It's amazing who God is bringing in. And the cool thing is he just kind of melds us all together and makes us one body and one family. And there's not a section over here and a section over there, a room over here, a room over there. And I think it's just because we open up our hearts to one another in the family of God. And I praise God for that. I think that's why God has been so good and so gracious to us. 
God has blessed us so abundantly, and I'm so excited to be right here with us together at Faith Assembly of God. But I'm not so naive to think that everybody in here is just maybe totally on board. I know I've had people come, and when they see the diversity, they leave the church. They don't want to be here. They want to go to their all-white church, or their all-African-American church, or their all-this church. And, and that's okay, but they just, they just can't handle it. They just can't handle it. And there may be some of you in here today that still, you just got a little bit of that inside from mommy and papa and all you were raised up in and all you've heard and all the, all the slurs and everything else that's gone on through the years. I want to tell you, let the Holy Spirit come in this morning and remove that and break down those walls and do a work in your heart and life. And if you've been there, if you've struggled with those things, repent of that and say, God, forgive me. God, I can't say no, Lord, anymore. I can't say not so, Lord, anymore. If you're my Lord, I've got to obey your word because your word trumps everything. Your way trumps everything. It can't be about my way anymore. And so he may be messing up some of your background right now. That's okay. That's a Holy Spirit thing. That's a God thing. Let him mess you up today. Change you. Now listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ, it starts by saying, God, I need you to come in and save me. Come into my life. And some of you need to pray that prayer today and say, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Take away my sin. Live inside of me. And when he does that, it just, it, 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 you start this incredible journey of following Christ. And, and he gives you everlasting life. And he gives you a hope for your future. You may be a good man like Cornelius. You may be a wonderful person, a wonderful man or lady just like Cornelius. Get, give money away. Help charities. Great husband, great father. But if you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, you're still lost. And you're still seeking and searching. And, and the Holy Spirit is searching you out today. And you just got to say, God, I need you. Come into my life and he'll save you. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.